0: Uh, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. I find uh, this sentence so interesting. Shepherds in the fields is where our story starts today. And location always matters. Location always matters, friends. And so it's interesting that the location of our story today, it doesn't begin in the Social, economic, religious center of Jerusalem. They didn't actually have crosses on the temples. That's anachronistic. But this is the beginning in Jerusalem. Nor do they have skyscrapers. But but it didn't start at the center, this story, today. It doesn't start there. It doesn't even start in the surrounding villages, right? That are out there. Kind of the next level out, we might say. No. No, what we get is... All right, what we get is a story that takes place real far from where everything was understood to really be going on, all right? It's out in the fields. That matters so much. I was thinking about this a lot this week, and I have no idea why, but a song came into my head that I have not heard for 25 years, and uh, this is going to be especially fun because uh, it's from my childhood, and my parents happen to be visiting uh, this morning, and they have no idea that this is coming. Uh, but, uh, but there's this song by a group called Peter, Paul, and Mary. Do you, any of you remember this group? Okay. All right. And so, I, for, so I'm thinking about the angels, and this song pops into my head. So I look it up, and I'm like, this, I just have to share this because of where we're going this morning. So I just want you to enjoy the first, the first uh, verse, and if this is your first introduction to Peter, Paul, and Mary, I... Uh, you can thank me later. But here we here we go. So let's let's just take a, a listen into this. One, two, three, one. Make sure it's nice and loud. There we go.
1: Saturday summers when I was a kid. We'd run to the schoolyard and here's what we did. We'd pick out the captains and we'd choose up the teams. It was always a measure of my self-esteem Cause the fastest, the strongest played shortstop and first The last ones they picked were the worst I never needed to ask, it was sealed I just took up my place in right field Watching the dandelions grow.
0: Great, right? Uh, I want to think a little bit about the fields that we find ourselves in, especially the fields that suggest that we might be a little less important than, uh, than others who aren't out in the field. All right? All um, right. There are fields in our lives that we get put in by others. And I don't have to tell you this because we've all experienced it in various ways at some point or another. This is when our identity or our value is judged based on all sorts of things. It might be how much education we have. It might be if we have an impressive job. It might be what gender we are. It might be what our background is in all sorts of ways. If we have a disability or if we deal with challenges of our mental health. And we, we long to be a part of things in deeper ways, uh, we long to kind of play a role and, and contribute in meaningful ways to be taken really seriously, right? To make a difference. And we just, we feel like we're not given a chance. And so, so as I was thinking about these shepherds in the field and I, I started thinking about this song about, about this uh, guy finding himself in right field, I, I couldn't help but just kind of dive into that just a little bit. The second verse is really interesting because he talks about dreaming, of the day when a ball would be hit his way. Okay? And, and about how, how he, he'd pray that this moment would happen, and he'd, and he'd catch it on the run, and the sun wouldn't get in his eyes, and, and then he ends the verse by saying, and then I'd awake from this long reverie and pray that the ball never came out to me. <laughs> because there's other types of fields, too, and those are the fields that we almost prefer to be in because we're not really sure that we're that capable anyways. And we're not particularly impressive. And making a big play, however we might define that, just uh, it feels important and it feels risky and there's comfort just staying out in the field. So back to our original story. We are considering this month the surprising values of Jesus. The surprising upside down way that God works that is revealed through the story of the gospel. And specifically, we call them third ways, where Jesus gives us a a third way of approaching the world that's different than maybe the either-or dichotomy that, that we often live in. Here's who's important. Here's who's unimportant. Here's what it means. You have to fight or you have to run. And Jesus says, no, 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 there's a whole third way of engaging with the world. And it looks different than the methods that you see around you. So, I want to consider the shepherds. They're pretty much my favorite people in this, this whole thing and they have, they have something to teach us. Um, and if you haven't heard this before, it's important for those of you that this is review, no problem. And I talked just a little bit last week about Jesus being called uh, a ruler who would shepherd his people. But we didn't particularly talk about the shepherds themselves. The shepherds at this point in in. Israel's history, specifically at the time of Jesus, had a very low, they were never high on the social scale, but they had a particularly low social standing. Okay? Uh, So shepherds, because they had to live, and the words there, shepherds living out in the fields, um, or, you know, abiding right the, the word there depending on your translation the actual root of the word is is a permanence a word of permanence it's they're actually out there day and night this is where their life is they are truckers that live on the road right and so so here's the thing with that to be a faithful Jewish person you have to do all of these purity rituals on a regular basis in town in the synagogues and if you're not able to do that then you are ceremonially unclean ritualistically unclean. And so so the the shepherds by nature of their very jobs were unable to participate in the religious, spiritual, and social life of the people around them. Alright? And so so they were seen as kind of <laughs> shifty, you know, like unreliable. And so so you know they weren't taken seriously. They were considered unclean so that people wouldn't even give them the time of day in social interactions. And they were just very unimportant. Very overlooked. Um, and so, so it's, it's, they're just irrelevant, <laughs> really. <laughs> they're kind of irrelevant in the story of Israel, except for one famous one, and there's always that one story, right? And that was David, right? David started as a shepherd and became a ruler, but somehow that was only a blip on the screen in the social status of shepherds, and it just didn't last, and you can look at any historians to, uh, to secure this. So, so they're out in the field, right? These, these shepherds, they're not at the temple uh, by the way, and this is horrible, the ultimate expression of, of the Jewish life was to go to the temple, to worship at the temple, to make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and they would never be allowed, unless they gave up their whole career, and therefore their livelihood. So, so this is kind of tragic people, in, in some ways, these, these shepherds. Um, but, but so, they're, they're not at the temple, This story doesn't take place in Jerusalem, it doesn't take place in the surrounding villages. They're way out in right field, right? And, um, and, and to them, this story comes. You're probably familiar with it, which is great. There were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks, right? Their flocks of sheep. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. All right, so a messenger from God. We often look and think that it's in the sky. That's just conjecture. We have no idea what this all looked like. But an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of God, the glory of the Lord shone around them. I like that. Not just around the angel, around them. Which there's probably all sorts of wonderful implications. But the glory of God was so great that it wasn't just over there. As soon as the angel showed up, it's everywhere. The glory shone around them, right? There's light, there's brilliance. Whatever the glory of God looks like. It was everywhere. And they were terrified, right? Because we talk about this. This is what always happens. It's a little bit outside of the box. So the angel calms them down. Says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, I want you to take note of things here because I think sometimes when we're we're familiar, we miss some of the the beauty. But look at the the message because you got to take in the message of what's happening here, of who the angels are coming to, and take note of all of the specific words, right? So, So the angel says, don't be afraid, and he says, I bring you good news. Sorry, my penmanship's not good. I bring you good news. All right, that is going to cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born who? Where? To you. I'm just, wow, that's like not helpful at all. All right, we're just going to roll with it. Um, There we go. Okay, to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and then we get another one. This will be a sign, what? What? To you, I know that you don't, you don't think that maybe this is significant yet, but just sit with it. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So the, the angels come, and the angel says, listen, I have good news, and you are the first ones I'm coming to because it's good news for all people, for all people, which we think that's great. It's good news for all people. But it's who it's being communicated to means for all people. Do you get it? Because you could say good news to all people, to the king, and that means one thing. But if you say good news to all people, to the shepherds, that means something entirely different. And so he says, "Listen," or the angel. Do we know? We don't actually know the gender of the angel. Maybe they were genderless. We don't know. We always say a man. But it's probably Gabriel. It's probably the same one. Okay. Um, anyways, uh, we'll talk about that later. If, if that, like, all of a sudden, if you're losing your faith now, um, don't don't worry about it. It's not a faith-breaking issue. Okay. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, and this will be a sign to you. And I want you to to note that when he says this will be a sign to you, he gives a description of how and where to find the baby. And this communicates something, because royalty doesn't get born in a manger. All right, a manger is a feeding trough, like we would think now. It wasn't in a barn because they didn't have barns for animals back then. But we won't get into all of that. If you read Melanie's uh, reflection two days ago, she mentioned that we talked about this a few years ago. But the point is that the the nature of where Jesus was born was peasant language. Okay, it was peasant language. It was saying that this 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 Messiah. Here's a sign that is to you. Here's a sign that this is good news to you. Because if Jesus had been born in a palace and the shepherds had heard the news, they would have nothing to do after that because they wouldn't be welcomed anywhere. But a peasant home, a Messiah who's born among the animals to a shepherd, that's like you're talking my native language. And so the shepherds hear all of this. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And the shepherds begin to think, if this is true, this is actually truly good news to me. This is this this is a savior maybe that has been born to to me. <laughs> because that sounds accessible. And so what happens, you know, the this this, this beautiful image, you know, all of a sudden that the, that the angels are, are bringing, these are signs that he is going to be their Messiah. The common person's Messiah. Uh, not the ruler in the palace Messiah, the shepherd Messiah. And therefore, they are seen. They are welcomed freely and equally and they are given a crucial voice. They're seen, they're welcomed freely and equally, and they are given a crucial voice. This is the kingdom of God, friends. You are seen. You are welcomed freely and equally. You are given a crucial voice. the the news and and the nature of the way that God had come that's the thing that motivates the shepherds to do what they do next okay because if you notice what ends up happening and we'll we'll get to this moment here let's suddenly all of a sudden as this news comes it's like a crescendo right so a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace on whom his favor rests it's so beautiful um, so they experience this amazing moment and what do the shepherds do with it this is important because it's good news to you for you and you are going to be able to find this baby they say let's go and they take off to go and see the thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about they say so they go and they find they go and they find Jesus and after they see Jesus and realize the, the beauty of the whole story that the sign has been given to them What do they do? When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. This is so beautiful. We cannot, they they get motivated to go and spread the news around town. We can't overstate how countercultural this is, friends. Shepherds weren't even allowed to give legal um, testimony in court because they were seen as so unreliable at the time. They were so untrusted in society. They wouldn't be welcomed anywhere. But this night is totally different. And this story is different. And it changes how the shepherds see themselves. And it changes how they see their roles. And it seems to change how others see them too. Because others are amazed at what the shepherds say to them. People are amazed at the shepherds and their message. Their message. Because the shepherds just gave the keynote address. And that sort of thing just does not happen unless you're in the kingdom of God. Do you have field areas in your own life where you feel unqualified? Where you've been given tasks that are greater than what you're ready for? Or the opposite times that come when it's communicated verbally or non-verbally that you're not enough? No doubt the shepherds probably dealt with both of those things. They were used to being told that they were unimportant. But then when the news comes, it's probably a little terrifying to be going around town proclaiming something that you kind of expect everybody might not even take you seriously about. But the joy of a Messiah that has come to them overshadows all of that. The story is too good for them not to receive with joy and then go and get the word out. This is really, really important. Last week we talked about power and how Jesus flips power on its head. But understanding who gets to lead and influence in God's kingdom, uh, it helps us shape how we understand that, that power. So, this, this story points to something that we see throughout the scriptures, and that is that in the kingdom of God, the ones who get to take the lead are never the ones that we expect. In the kingdom of God, the ones that get to take the lead are never the ones that we expect. So, who does take the lead in the kingdom of God? Who takes the lead? Over and over, the stories that we get in the gospel. They point to the humble and the humbled. Right? They get to tell the stories. They get to receive the good news in dynamic ways. They get to share the lead in the kingdom of God. What about um, those who have suffered? Those who have experienced pain are often the ones who are given the greatest stories to tell. Because that's where God's redemptive nature takes place. Jesus in the book of Revelation first comes to us not as a conquering king but as a slain lamb. As one who has suffered. That is the first identity that we get in the story of the redemption and restoration of all things is Jesus as a slain lamb. The ones who have suffered. Uh, Thornton Wilder once wrote, Without your wound, where would your power be? The very angels themselves cannot persuade the wretched and blundering children on earth as one human being broken on the wheels of living even the angels aren't as powerful as the witness of someone who has been broken and redeemed by God what a what a statement in love's service only the wounded soldiers can serve that's the end of that Thornton Wilder quote in love's service only the wounded soldiers can serve who else gets to lead in the kingdom of God um How about the ones whose hearts are pure but platforms are small? (laughs) The whole story of our Christian faithful history is the story of unnamed people. The small ones. The ones who don't get much recognition. Who love faithfully day after day, year after year. Pouring into their families and their communities. Praying fervently for God to continue to shape them. And they pass down this authentic faith of discipleship. Most of us in our own discipleship have been, have been shaped the most deeply by people who won't be remembered a generation or two from now. And while that might be sad to think about, there is also unbelievable power in understanding that that is who God uses to shape his grandest movement. How cool, how, how breathtaking, how humbling is that? Because what that means is that you and I can do that for those around us. By revealing Jesus in simple, humble ways. By having our hearts be pure, it doesn't matter if your platform's small. That's what God's preference usually is anyways. I hate to say it, but just look at the big platforms out there. It is breaking my heart lately. It is breaking my heart because it is very hard to hold power well as a disciple of Jesus. I do believe it's possible, but it is very, very difficult. It might be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a Christian to hold power faithfully. So, what do we do with all this? Who else? The humble, the humble, the pure-hearted, those who have suffered. This is probably like, I'm standing right in front of everything that I'm saying. Anybody else? Oh, yes, the failures. This is really great. Um, how about the failures? I mean, will you just think about the stories of the scriptures? You know, two-thirds of our New Testament was written by a converted terrorist. And, uh, and his failures were so deep. He went around. Went around killing people. Righteously. And then once... It came out, and once he met Jesus and became transformed, do you, know, do you know what happened in his life? He viewed all of his competency as more of a liability than a strength. All of his knowledge, all of his skill, all of his great oratory skills, and, and what he said was that the power, the power was through the weakness that he experienced, through, how, through the moments where he wasn't relying on his strength over and over. I mean, it happened with all the disciples, right? All the disciples were very slow to learn. All of the disciples were imperfect. And they must have been tempted to constantly consider themselves a disappointment to Jesus. They must have. They must have. And yet at the end of the day, they still referred to themselves as the beloved of God. Think about that. To know how much you failed, how imperfect you are, and still be grounded in the fact that your identity is the beloved of God. That. We we get this backwards so much in our culture, our Christian culture, right? Right? And wasn't that maybe the core of what the incarnation is all about? God pulling out all the stops to convince us of our belovedness despite our failures. So you see what all of this points to, right? That no one is disqualified in God's kingdom. No one is disqualified. God uses, the one, specifically the ones that the world overlooks, are always going to be the ones where God is working powerfully through. It's consistent over and over and over again. Which, by the way, should help us not uh, hitch our wagons or put too much hope in the powerful people doing great things for Christianity out there in front of us in our world. Because it's just not that God can't work through them, no doubt. It's just not the way it usually works when you look at history on the whole. And so there's beautiful hope there. Um, God uses the ones that we least expect because that's that's what reveals the truth and power, right? Of of Jesus coming himself, of the incarnation. Jesus has come to be with each one of us. And therefore, Jesus has come to redeem us. And when God creates this surprising beloved community where everyone gets to play and everyone gets to participate and, and contribute and even take the lead then you can't do anything but sit back and say, wow, the spirit has to be present in this because it's so different. It's such a different way than how the rest of the world works. It's not just a whole bunch of capable people doing their thing, right? This is the God of the universe coming in weakness and vulnerability and then using the weak and the vulnerable to share his kingdom with the world. Oh, it's so good. Can it get any more surprising and beautiful than that? And... and uh, You know, the early church was founded on these ideas. In 1 Corinthians, Paul Paul speaks directly of it. And he says, remember, brothers and sisters, he was calling them to humility but also to radical trust. He says, remember that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful and wealthy when God called you. Instead, I love this, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And he says two things happen. Number one, it keeps us humble because we can't boast in anything but the work of Jesus. And number two, when the world looks on, they take notice. And it impacts them because it's so upside down. Uh, I just, I, I love it. Um, you are big enough. <laughs> you are enough. God comes out to the field and God brings us in and says, I've got a message for you, a role for you, a sign for you. You are a part of all of this and the news is especially good for people like you. This, this truth has really deep relevance to us personally, but it also relates to how we, we view others. So it's twofold here. Um, you know, where have you convinced yourself that you are either incapable or inconsequential in something kingdom related? I've heard some of you say, because we've talked about your gifts and your, and your passions. And you say, well, I mean, I, I love this, but that's not really like a kingdom of God thing, really. I'm not sure how that would, you know, whatever. Like, we, we, we consider the things, that, the ways God has made us as inconsequential for the kingdom and I think sometimes we're just lacking creativity. But where, where are you convinced that you're incapable or inconsequential? And then what assumptions about others and their worth are floating around in your subconscious? Right? I say that because we'd all agree we don't want to view others as less important or unimportant. But our desires are not always what actually is going on in our hearts and minds, yeah? And so so where where do we maybe make assumptions about other people that don't value the fact that God goes out to the fields and lets and invites and equips the field dwellers to lead. Grasping both of those things leads, will lead us to something really beautiful at life path as a church, as a community. Um, if we continue to live in covenantal ways with one another. And covenantal ways means um, honoring the Spirit of Christ with each other, listening humbly and contributing. At the same time, being willing to share, just like you're willing to listen to others, be willing when God stirs you to actually speak. When we do that sort of a thing, uh, we create a shared community experience that's absolutely breathtaking. I attitudes start to get replaced with we. Pride begins to be replaced with compassion. Um, Individualism gets replaced uh, with mutual trust. And Jesus leads and enlivens the whole thing. It's, uh, it's really, really beautiful. Church in this way becomes not about impressiveness or about charisma or about eloquence. It becomes about honest hearts, postured toward Jesus, listening for God's spirit and listening to one another and not being afraid to share what you're hearing yourself. This happens in a whole bunch of ways, right? It happens just in basic friendships here. Um, it happens through meal communities. It happens through discipleship partners. It happens through our Advent writings right now, and you can still pick up more booklets if you want to just catch up and do the whole month tomorrow. Um, grab one on the way out, right, to hear the voices of everybody in here. And, and it also, um, you know, involves sharing here and, and what we do when we come together and our different voices are heard, which, uh, which is interesting because um, the other day, regarding that last one about this gathering and about wanting to hear your stories, um, not that a bunch of us that talk regularly are like, like pros or anything like that. But we were talking about how sometimes we know that God is at work in so many ways, and yet it's really, really hard to get those stories out there, even though they inspire and encourage all of us. And, um, and I think it was Melanie. Yes, it was Melanie and I. I can't fake it. I know exactly that it was Melanie and I talking. And, uh, and we were talking about what happens from the front. And, uh, and Melanie was like, you know, I think we need more floundering at LifePath. I think we need people up here that are like, yeah, I'm not really a great public speaker, but God's up to something. And this isn't really my thing, and yet God's doing something, and I want to give witness to it. And so, so I think sometimes we actually can do the opposite of what this story does. If, if the only voices you ever hear are people who's, you know, at least moderate elements of their careers involve being in front of people, then sometimes we miss out on all the beauty that God's doing in this community. So I say that as an encouragement that you don't have to have a lot of confidence in front of people to be able to inspire us through the Spirit of God what you're doing. Okay? So just take that, take that as it is um, and, uh, and embrace it. Okay, so I have one more thing to show you because the song isn't over. Yeah, yeah. There's one more verse. And I'm just going to let him sing it. So, uh, so just, just take in the final, the final part of this song and, uh, and just continue to think about what God may want to do with you.
1: Off in the distance, the game's dragging on. There's strikes on the batter, some runners are on. I don't know the inning, I've forgotten the score. The whole team is yelling, and I don't know what for. Suddenly everyone's looking You gotta know how to throw. That's why I'm here in right field, watching the line grow.
0: This is just too great. Like that is that is the kingdom of God right there. That uh, seriously, this is. This is the kingdom, the overlooked and the underqualified leading the way, playing a dynamic and important role because that's who they are in reality, not just in God's eyes, but in reality. They are significant. The good news of the incarnation is that God has come into the world humbly, friends, bringing good news for you. You are seen, you are included, you are given a role and a voice. And so has your neighbor. You've been chosen to witness it and then to be a witness to it. And so has your neighbor. So, uh, you get to spread that news with your very life. What a beautiful glimpse at what Jesus has done on so many levels. Yeah? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we are... In awe, maybe. Um, Maybe it's even difficult for us to to receive the value of you coming our way in the midst of all the things that might disqualify us or all the ways that we've been told. So I pray, Lord, that in these moments right now, that whatever we need to kind of hear about the good news of you coming to redeem us, of you coming in weakness, to reveal your strength, uh, whatever that looks like, Lord, uh, I pray that you bring that to the surface of our lives. I pray you give us holy boldness. I pray that you give us joy in knowing that we are chosen. I pray that uh, we might hold this good news freely and actively. And shape us into your image so that we might share who you are in every single way and what you've done. Amen.